Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And the first thing I did was quit my job in this fashion industry. Um, and it was, you know, the bravest thing my husband has ever done is sort of being okay with this because, you know, a lot of Scandinavia is built on all of Scandinavia is so expensive. It is built on two incomes, you know, two full-time incomes. So this was a massive step for him as well um, to start changing his mind, chef, uh, to start changing his mind about, because um, he's also conditioned, you know, from this culture to believe that certain things have to be a certain way. And of course, you know, me coming in and saying nothing has to be any kind of way was very um, challenging for him. But when, he, when we met in the middle, you know, that I became a little more grounded and he became a little more free. And we met in this, um, this beautiful sweet spot in the middle. We started sort of co-creating this life together and becoming very conscious as to what we were letting in and what we were letting out of our life. Um, and through this um, meeting in the middle, we basically went through some pretty bizarre changes um, to, our, to our life. We, we sat down and we said, what are the core values we have um, as a couple for this family? And we came up with three totally solid, you know, um, values that no matter how different me and my husband are, and we are incredibly different, these things are like, well, they are the roots to our relationship. Um, and they're really what brings us together on, on everything. Um, and this was family, uh, it was freedom, and it was travel. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Sez Christensen. Now, Sez is one of my favorite guests, and she's one of my favorite guests because of how raw and honest she is. You know, as you heard in the, in the taping before this, she and her husband went through a moment of deep introspection, which led to what the rest of her lives was going to be like. But in our interview, we dove into many facets of her life, right? The, the very various aspects of what it takes to be a TCK and succeed and thrive in in the today's world with all the multiple identities. You know, she says something that's so deep and it's the title of this episode. She says she wondered how to live an undefined life in a defined culture. That's where many of us are today. You know, we feel like there's a defined culture, but we are undefined ourselves. How do you navigate through the chaos sometimes and the ambiguity sometimes, right? That, those are some of the things that we dive into today's episodes. She's an amazing writer. I'm going to put her the links to our books in the show notes and i also encourage you all to follow her on social media as well as sign up to her newsletters all right enjoy the episode 
Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads and today's episode is with an amazing, amazing, amazing lady and her fellow third culture kid, Sez Christensen. Now I'll let her tell you her story, but in short, she's an author and poet who has had an inception level of TCK experiences and we're going to be talking about what it's like to stay grounded after a long life spent as a nomad and how to simultaneously find freedom in business and entrepreneurship while trying to express yourself. Obviously, we live in a very nuanced world, also a very multicultural world. Sometimes it can feel like boxes are where you should be. But today, we're going to be breaking out of those boxes and talking about how to do that. Welcome to the show, Sez. Thank you so much for having me, Tayo. It's such a pleasure. Thank the you. pleasure is mine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like we're going to be so enthusiastic. I really do as well. I know. <laughs> Well, why don't you why don't you get us started with with your story because I feel like you tell it best. You talk about generations of being a third culture kid, but where does it all start for you? Well, um, so I am the third generation in my family to be um, a third culture kid. Um, my parents they were born in uh, Zambia and Zimbabwe, um, but their heritage comes from a mix of. Um, Dutch and Polish, British and Scottish. Um, and my grandparents, they all um, landed up in Southern Africa after the Second World War uh, for many different reasons. Um, but my parents, they, they met over Victoria Falls uh, in Zimbabwe on the border. And um, they had three kids, including myself. Um, so I was born pretty isolated peach farm um, in northern Johannesburg in the mid 80s. And, um, you know, this was obviously the time uh, during the apartheid. Um, and as a kid, like I was super, super sensitive to everything that was going around. Um, and I fell upon this tool of poetry, basically um, trying to make sense of these thoughts I was having um, and these emotions that I couldn't quite explain um, as a child. So I've kind of always used poetry to simplify my life, you know, using it to condense my my thoughts and emotions, uh, especially when I can't literate, literate them. Um, but yeah, we spent eight years um, on this farm in Johannesburg. Um, and like I said, really fairly isolated um, until my dad um, got another job and it took us to Cape Town. Um, and really from then, we had a very um, a highly mobile life from, from then onwards. My dad was, he was so um, determined to get his children and his family out of South Africa at that point in time. Um, and he was doing everything basically in his power to get a job that would take him um, take him away. And that eventually came when I was about 15 years old. Um, and he got a job in the UK. And to me, at this point, I was like, um, this is, I didn't really feel like a belonging um, to South Africa. Um, because my family come from this crazy mix of, of different cultures. Um, and, you know, we weren't Afrikaans, and I, I went to English schools. And uh, so we had this um, we had this move to the UK and I really thought that because my dad was half British, there would be this kind of sense of belonging um, in this country. 
And of course, you know, a teenager landing up in a small village school in the Midlands. Um, it was uh, it was a really tough move. It was such a tough move for me. And again, I fell back um, onto the, this tool of poetry, writing poetry. And by this point, like I had books and books and books of poetry. Um, and that kind of formed into writing books um, like novels um, when I as I grew older. Um, and it was this outlet I get, uh, I guess this escapism that I used um, that really helped sort of dispense everything that was going on in my mind um, and this sort of confusion about where I belonged um, onto paper. So um, really didn't um, get this feeling of belonging in the UK. And in fact, it kind of made me um, into quite a rebellious teenager. I really, you know, kind of rejected the society and the rules and the school. Um, so I was pretty, um, I was pretty naughty when I was a teenager. Um, and it kind of made me think, um, by the time I got to 18 years old, I was like, that's my freedom point. Um, and I really wanted to go back to Southern Africa. I really wanted to go traveling and find, um, find out if it was true that I wasn't um, South African and that I didn't belong there. Um, I wanted to revisit all the homes that I'd grown up in and sort of revisit the culture and see how much had changed in those, um, you know, those five years that I was in the UK. So, um, so I did. I went back when I was 18 years old um, on my own down to Zimbabwe, Zambia, traveled around South Africa literally went back to every house that I'd grown up in and um, and kind of came across that heartbreaking, soul-tearing moment of realizing that uh, everything had changed and, you know, including myself. Um, and I couldn't recognize anything in myself in this country. Um, my homes were literally uh, like the peach farm had been turned into a shopping mall. You know, this place that was very isolated back then was now um, part of this massive community. Um, it was very built up. And like all those ideas that you have and those memories you have of, of being a child and having this freedom in this, you know, South African bush, it like disappeared in an instant. Um, so it, it kind of brought about this closure in myself that there was no place of belonging for me um, in, in these places that I had lived. And because I didn't want to go back to the UK, um, I essentially spent the next 10 years, um, of my life, uh, traveling and on this resolute mission to become a part of everything. You know, if I couldn't find acceptance or belonging in these places that I had lived, I would make it my mission to go traveling to some of honestly, the most obscure places um, on the planet. And um, apart from four years that I spent at university, um, I spent a long time traveling and living in some in some rather peculiar um, destinations. Um, and I really did find this incredible sense of freedom through this. Like, you can land up in a hostel or even to, you know, the jobs that I was um, using to afford my travels. You could turn up there and um, and they'd ask you where you're from. And I could literally, I could feel like I could say anything and I could relate to something with every single person I met, no matter what culture. It really became this um, kind of skill 
finding this commonality um, in in really kind of diverse places. Um, and after, you know, as I kept traveling, I was um, working from job to job. Um, and then I afforded another, you know, four months of travel and then I'd land up somewhere else. And I traveled a lot around Australia and I landed up in Samoa for um, far too long, really. It's one of these places that, you know, <laughs> island life, uh, just kind of the quicksand um, and the right. lack of change. It's, um, you know, really, it's quite an amazing place. Um, but uh, after a while, I kind of felt the need for change. Um, and I and I went back to Sydney. And um, it was at this point that I kind of realized I had um, a slight issue with uh, escapism, you know, like um, if things got tough or... Uh, I didn't like the job or it was, you know, things got difficult or I broke up with someone. I could literally pack my bag and uh, start again in a different country, um, a different town. And this kind of became the way I lived for for a good 10 years. And of course, this uh, was intervened by um, a Viking, literally. I met, uh, <laughs> as they do, they have a habit of this, um, but I met... Um, a Danish guy when I was uh, traveling around uh, Queensland in Australia. And um, we had this really um, crazy year and a half of long distance relationship. Um, and because he was probably the most stable person I have ever met, you know, he's literally the personification of roots and cultural roots and family roots. And he was so grounded. He was such a solid guy and you know I was literally the opposite I had I had very little identity I guess I was like this moving sponge that was um, kind of soaking up different cultures uh, and I really fell in love with this um, this idea of roots and being grounded and of course him um, so after this year and a half long rela uh, year relationship we <clears throat> we came to the point that these relationships often come to where you have to say, you know, is this is this worth um, moving? Someone has to give up something and somebody has to move to each other's country. Um, and we were just too into, you know, we were just too different, basically. Um, and he uh, continued studying his master's and I moved to Barcelona to um to do a english language course another you know one of these creative ideas i had um so so i was living there for um a good six months uh when i got a knock on the door and i opened the door to see a a boy with a backpack and a one-way ticket and a smile on his face um and he wanted to know if you know we could see where this was going Wow. Um, yeah. And basically since, since that point, that really pivotal point in my life, um, it's kind of the start of me becoming a little more rooted in myself. Um, and he, he's, uh, he got posted out to Sri Lanka. Basically, as soon as, um, we started living together, he got this job opportunity to build, um, fishing harbors, you know, marine infrastructure in remote parts of Sri Lanka. So he invited me to come with him. And I was like, yeah, of course, you know, I'd never been there. And um, we had this incredible two years of living in a country that was literally 
it had just um, come out of 30 years of civil war. Um, and it was it was a really incredible time to be part of this um, this culture that hadn't seen foreigners for for such a long time. Um, and during these two years, we got married and I fell pregnant with my first child. Um, so this was a point that we we kind of looked at each other and said, OK, we need to we need to have some stability. We need to do this thing called settling down. Um, and so we moved back to to Denmark, to his home country. And um, and we had my my child. Uh, and this uh, at this point in my life, it was um, how to say it, it was just it was very, very difficult, um, you know, coming from where I'd come from in the life that I'd had um, and that kind of freedom and basically stepping into a lot of paradoxes because Danish culture is, um, you know, it's very particular about um, about how it sees foreigners and immigrants. Um, and, you know, they kind of base success of integration on how Danish you are, basically. You know, as if you learn the language and you adopt their customs and you abide by... Um, <clears throat> the conformity they have here, which is extremely strong, you are considered, you know, um, integrated. But I found like the more that I did that here, uh, the more I suffered and the more I lost whatever I thought was um, who I was. Um, so as well as being a new mother, learning this insane language um, and working, I got a job in like some serious cutthroat fashion industry that was like 60 hours a week of work. Um, I really, I struggled with this identity um, clash. Um, and I stopped writing, you know, throughout the years that I'd been traveling, I have up to the ceiling books and books of journals of my travels. Um, you know, it's, it was almost obsessive. And I knew something was wrong, basically. Um, after I realized I'd stopped writing for a good three years or so. Um, so this all amounted to a massive amount of um, stress and sort of personal uh, crisis, I guess. Um, and it was two years after my son was born, I went through a debilitating psychosis, which, you know, along with the stress, this trigger, um, and as well as inherited sensitivities that I have in my in my family's mental health, you know, I I kind of I basically snapped. Um, and this process of healing that came after um, this episode has really been what changed um, everything in my life because I had to I had to reevaluate who I was. And I and I really got into um, learning more about consciousness and um, learning how to shift my mental state. Uh, and I got back into journaling my notes, you know, from not such a self-centered way that I had been doing for, you know, most of my life. This was a very introspective um, process. Uh, and I got back into poetry. And I started doing a lot of these things that um, helped me sort of navigate my own mind and my own identity and spirituality, you know, 
it helped a lot um, in finding some kind of guidance, uh, some guidance system for me. Um, and, you know, I can see that Sri Lanka had a lot to do with, um, you know, the Buddhist beliefs and and their religious customs that kind of planted a few seeds in me. So I fell back on this um, ability to to really use some of their their mind tools like meditation um, to to heal myself. Um, and at this point, I was still working, still kind of getting used to being a mom. Um, but I started volunteering at this um, <clears throat> non-profit organization here in Copenhagen called IMAT. And it's this place where um, it's for immigrants and as well as, you know, Danish nationals. But it's this space held for people who are artists. And it's a way of, it's like an alternative integration we have, um, you know, we have these meetings once a month where we get together and create um, dinner or we could do like some poetry uh, speeches um, and everybody gets to network and share ideas. And it's this kind of bonding over this commonality that I loved so much because I really felt like me being Danish and the more Danish I was, the less happy I was. But being in this community of people that were all going through something similar but who were sharing and, and getting through it through their creative um, art form. And some of that was poetry, some, some were painters, some were writers, um, whatever it was, there was this bond that sort of, um, that helped me really um, start putting some roots here. Because I could finally, like for the first time, I could see myself living here long-term uh, because of this community of people. Um, and I also realized, you know, finding your home, um, can, it doesn't, it's not a place. It, it never is a place, but you can really access as a third culture kid, you can access this home within you through creative expression, whatever that is, you know, whether it's cooking or, um, or writing, it really is this, um, this incredible tool of coming back to yourself. So, um, so after I had been um, practicing this, um, these tools for healing myself um, over a year, I became pregnant again with my second child and final child. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and this is really like, this is the changer because I was like, I'm bringing another little soul into this world and I'm... I can't be this volatile anymore. I really have to know who I am, what I stand for, what my priorities are. And I have to show more than just sort of saying what it is I want for my kids. I have to show them by doing it myself. Um, and the first thing I did was quit my job in this fashion industry. Um, and it was, you know, the bravest thing my husband has ever done is sort of being okay with this because you know, a lot of Scandinavia is built on, all of Scandinavia is so expensive. It is built on two incomes, you know, two full-time incomes. So this was a massive step for him as well um, to start changing his mind shift, uh, to start changing his mind about, because um, he's also conditioned, you know, from this culture to believe that certain things have to be a certain way. And of course, you know, me coming in and saying nothing has to be any kind of way was very um, challenging for him. 
but when he, when we met in the middle, you know, that I became a little more grounded and he became a little more free. And we met in this um, this beautiful sweet spot in the middle. We started sort of co-creating this life together and becoming very conscious as to what we were letting in and what we were letting out of our life. Um, and through this um, meeting in the middle, we basically went through some pretty bizarre changes um, to our to our life. We we sat down and we said, what are the core values we have um, as a couple for this family? And we came up with three totally solid, you know, um, values that no matter how different me and my husband are, and we are incredibly different, these things are like, well, they are the roots to our relationship. Um, and they're really what brings us together on on everything. Um, and this was family, uh, it was freedom, and it was travel. And, you know, family to me is to to have time with my, my kids, to actually have um, enough energy to be mindful with them. And freedom to both of us was just, you know, freedom of mind, body and soul, you know, that ability to to find and be curious um, and have the time to work on yourself, that personal development and self-empowerment, you know, that was really important for us to, to find that freedom within ourselves and within our body. You know, I, I started running a, a couple of years ago uh, and this was something that also shifted a lot of things for me because I have never run in my life and I still, you know, find it extremely challenging, but it's that way of putting your, um, your mental state into, into the track and how you can literally work through your troubles by making it a physical experience rather than constantly keeping it in your head and, you know, imploding from it. Um, and of course that last, um, that last core value we had was travel because it, it, at the end of the day, travel, travel is my home. You know, that is, um, that is where I feel like, you know, if I belong anywhere, it's it is everywhere, and I find nothing more expansive, especially being a mother now. I find nothing more important than showing my children the world, um, and not this kind of all-inclusive stuff that families are often so exhausted they they land up booking, but really uncharted, adventurous, you know, soul-defying travel. Um, so we basically, we, we designed our entire life. We recreated our life um, around these values. And it meant we, we gave up um, a house, this beautiful big house, white house, Danish house with an incredibly fat mortgage. We gave it up and we sold it and we moved into a very tiny little apartment where I'm sitting right now. Uh, it's on the top floor. Um, of um of this of this building and it's shared with um 10 other couples so it's like a commune uh, a collective but you you share a mortgage so it is incredibly cheap to to live in um and they have these kinds of apartments in the city here but you have to be on some inherited list you know from like five generations to be on one of these lists and and of course masping my husband being himself, he was on one of these lists. Um, so we got this apartment. We had this leftover money from um, from the house. And because we're both 
born on farms and nature is um, incredibly important to us. We uh, we bought a, a little piece of land in the, wil- uh, the wilderness in northwest Denmark and it's just by the coast um, and we hand built a little cabin for our family to be able to spend time together in nature you know because I go a bit crazy being in the city it's uh, it's it's not it's not very comfortable for me I'm very at home with kind of expanse um, so so this was one of these fundamental things that um, that we changed was to spend more time in this cabin um, as a family and literally you know my kids have been hammering stuff into stuff um, you know for two years now building this um, building this little cabin and um, and of course we um, we discussed what it was that I was going to do right with uh, with my life now and how I was going to um, be fulfilled but also financially contribute um, to create more options um, in our life and I really struggled with this because I've never really um, been defined by a job. Um, I've had a lot of very peculiar jobs in my life, um, and I really didn't know what this um, what this purpose of mine was supposed to be. And of course, you know, while I'm trying to figure this out, um, I was uh, journaling and journaling and writing poetry, you know, and really like I'm trying to get this. I really need to know what it is I'm supposed to do with my life and what's going to make some some. Uh, how am I going to contribute to to the world, to my children's lives, um, and beyond, you know? And I just um, s- uh, sat back one day looking at all these journals that I had um, compiled over the last few years, and I. I, I opened my laptop and I started writing this nonfiction 70,000 word um, novel about freedom in motherhood. Um, and this was, you know, this suddenly felt like probably the most amount of freedom I have ever had in my life was writing this book because I had wished for so long to read a book that would help me through um being who I was, coming from where I was. And, you know, I felt like this was just too niche, like nobody's going to read something like this. And the more I wrote, the more I could see, you know, this is not just me. This is anybody, literally any mother who has ever struggled with freedom and becoming a parent and having that paradox um, of literally physical restriction, things that are keeping you... um, mostly your mind, but also like literally the physical part of being a mother and not being able to go out when you want or travel when you want. Um, And I wrote this book because I really wanted to read it. You know, I wanted to read what it was like to find freedom and be a free spirit and keep that little piece of, of who you are in motherhood and not let that piece go because it's very common that we just, we settle with life. We let things go um, after we become a parent that we used to love because you're just too tired, you know, it's exhausting and you've got this job. And then, you know, the moment I let go of that job, I realized this, this is what has been sucking up my energy <laughs> for so many years, um, is this unfulfilling work. So, um, so this book has been like this incredible journey condensed into a book that will, I really hope resonate with other people. And um, 
Yeah. And um, I really felt like, you know, I had written 70,000 words and then I was like, okay, now I got to get it published, right? Because this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This kind of book needs editing. I'm not an editor. I, d I don't, um, you know, it needs help from, from more skilled people. And like, I started reading about what the likelihood of getting um, published was. And it was just like nil, you know, uh, as I'm sure you know, it's very, very difficult to, to find somebody of the right genre to, to get, um, to get your book out. And, you know, it's like a 5% chance um, that you're, that you're, that a publisher is even going to be interested. And I just, I was so determined, like I have never been so determined in my life that this was going to be, it was just going to be. I had written this book from my soul, you know, it was crafted from my soul and it had to mean something. And I sent it out and I was crossing my fingers. I was literally, you know, hiding a little bit, um, you know, to so scared to open my laptop every day. And of course, you come back with um, you have to deal with a lot of rejection, a lot of comments, a lot of sort of remarks about um, people's opinions of it. And um, and I really learned to change like I would what I would used to do would be escape, you know. Uh, okay, that's not for me. Somebody doesn't like the book. That's it. I'm out of here. I'm not doing that. And I was like, no, stop. See if their comments are valid. Can they help you? Are they actually giving you some really valuable advice? Or um, is it just up to you to let it go? And every time I got some negativity back, I would I, I would ask myself those two questions. Is this useful or can I or can I actually let it go? And I started building up this um, this resilience, I guess, that I've never had before. And um, and I in the end, I got three um, offers of traditional publishing. And I went with um, <laughs> you. You'll laugh, but I went with them um, TCK publishing. You know, <laughs> I, know I was like, this is a sign. <laughs> this has got to be, of course. Um, yeah, but of course, as as I'm sure you know as well, it's a long process. This um, being published, um, and and in that time, I decided to uh, condense my poetry books uh, while I was going um, through that um, difficult period, and I was trying to find myself again. I condensed these books, um, these poems, into a poetry book, which has also just come out now. Um, and it's just basically, yeah, it's like two sides of, of my life, this motherhood and being grounded and finding finding 
who I really was and, you know, deciding, basically deciding, choosing who I wanted to be. And also this process of healing, which is, um, you know, using feminine energy, which is basically allowing your healing to um, occur, uh, but also letting the darkness in you, the pain, all those challenges teach you something instead of trying to be like this quick uh, quick fix, which is a very masculine energy. It's sort of telling you to keep going, keep contributing, get back to um, get back to your fullness. Um, and it's like it's it's not a plaster. It's a process to heal yourself and it takes time and it takes letting go and surrendering to to the message that your pain is trying to show you. So this was um, so this was the 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 poetry book that I've written, but yeah, you know, in the end, um, I really, I really believe that um, freedom freedom is a choice. It is a choice, no matter how much you f- believe you're incarcerated by um, by motherhood, by parenthood, by your job, by your finances, you know, even by your mind. I believe that you have the choice to liberate yourself and it all starts with those incremental steps and being conscious to your life and what is your life and what is being and what was conditionings you know a lot of us have very deep conditionings that we believe that um you know those are our choices but they're not they often happen to be from an ex you know a past uh, experiences and especially as you know tck's there's a, a lot of unusual conditionings you know from your life um but i really believe that you get to choose which ones you want to take with you that you don't have to be defined by um by being undefined really you know yeah. that you get to choose yeah so it's interesting hearing you talk because, uh, and and I wanted it to be that way to sort of give us a narrative spiel from there because you can hear the many lifetimes you've lived. One, um, <laughs> and, and you can also see how deeply important it is to be self-aware. You know, you, you bring up self-awareness and consciousness. The idea of you acknowledging where your true north is and and where you feel at your your highest. Uh, zone of genius with your writing is is so key in in your story because just just because your journaling allows you to reflect even when you were transitioning from um, writing more about self to experiences you, you found a balance in, in between there and um, I, I do I do appreciate that but I also think it's a it's a metaphor for life in terms of how when people grow older you know you, you lose that sense of wonder and creativity mm-hmm. and you become conditioned to do what you think society wants you to do and you coming back to writing you having that that episode with mental health which is also another thing by by the way which which isn't discussed often but the the way you talked about it was so beautiful i mean you 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 highlighted it and you said you had an episode Mm -hmm. but you said you learned from it (laughs) well this is the thing right you know that these things are here to teach us you know as i really believe there are two things that make us better people and it is books and children you know what your bookshelf says about you and what your children say about you they are reflections of you and they really give us a chance to um to become better people because you have to make that choice. You know, my son will ask me, who's God? What is God? And then, you know, you can come, you 
come off with the same thing that your parents told you, which is what the same thing as their parents told you. But then, you know, you start questioning. You you allow that little bit of questioning to come into your life. And it's the most beautiful thing because I suddenly thought, well, hang on, who do I believe in? You know, well, is this really true or is this something that has happened, um, has been told to me from my past? So, um, so you're, you know, and I love the fact that you said you're true north, you know, um, we spend so much of our life fighting, fighting, uh, you know, for, for finances, for a better life. And, and it's this, um, this idea of true north, it's a very individual um, element, and your true north is unconventional. It's who you are. It's it's um, it's your alignment with who you really are, and finding that is the most liberating thing you can do. Because a lot of our life is going to um, a direction that your society or your culture has told you is north. Like this is north. This is where you got to keep going. You got to go to university. You got to get a um, a proper job that pays this amount, and it's got to be in this field. But that is not your true north. You know, your true north is your your skills and your desires and and who you really are. So I really love that. Uh, you know, I love that metaphor. No, absolutely, and and I was basically uh, getting the energy off of you because I I think it's an amazing, um, you know, sense of awareness for you to have that because honestly, a lot of people aren't aware of who mm. they are. Honestly, as the, as you grow older, and mm. in both of our line of work, both as being TCKs and poets and authors, a lot of times you're, I think at least, the best authors and the best poets are able to translate what they listen to and observe into something that could be simultaneously <laughs> personal and universal right so it's absolutely. like absolutely uh, yeah absolutely and, and, yeah and, and and you by the way i just got i just got your book um <laughs> so i'm Thank getting you. I'm, healing yeah, her healing her poetry healing that her. nourishes <laughs> <laughs> yeah poetry that nourishes the soul through feminine energy Healing yes. her, and we'll we'll put that in the show notes but Thank you so much yeah I, you're so welcome and i'm super eager to to read it, but what I was saying with that is, it's you talking of self care type of way, mm-hmm. uh, and it's and and the self care leads to soul alignment, and that ultimately leads to grounding, and yeah. especially for the listeners who are, you know, maybe in transition, whether it's physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, mm-hmm. it starts with self, and then obviously figuring out how to to stay true to that person. Mm-hmm. The other equation for you though uh, is. The amazing, I guess, journey that you you and your husband took. You know, the idea, <laughs> yeah, because that is always missing. Not it's not always present, rather, in many people's lives. The fact that your you your husband were able to come to that agreement where yeah. you had your, despite being different, you had your 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 principles that you would always abide by, and you made life changes. <laughs> um, <laughs> according to those things, I, you know, I, I was I was too young to have remembered Sweden, but from what my parents <laughs> told me about Sweden, which is which is also another Scandinavian country, the the yeah. idea of expenses was something that they always brought up. It's like it's very expensive. You always yeah. have to. Does the government pay for like school and all these things? Exactly. But everything else is expensive. Yeah. And, and you're saying that you you know you downgraded your life. Hmm. to upgrade your, your lifestyle. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, we, this is the land of minim, minimalism, but I, I also find it it's the land of irony, you know, because there is this this uh, physical minimalism that they're very into, but they're, they're highly um, sort of, they're very complex people and it's a very complex culture and they're very, um, 
you know, they're very defined and and it's and it's very scary to be an undefined person in a very defined culture because you're constantly having to fit yourself into these ideals. Um, but it but it, again, it is that liberation when you uh, when you decide to. You know, I really believe that to live in a culture, you need to know the language, you need to know the law, and you need to um, be creative and keep that piece of of you, that difference, to uh, you know keep it active. And uh, other than that, you know, what else? What is? What else do you really need? All those customs and those little, um, you know, awkward things and those ideals—they're just um, conformity that you don't need to. It's not for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's brilliant. And, that, I, you know, however way you say it, minimalism, downgrading your uh, life to upgrade your lifestyle or downgrading your lifestyle to upgrade your life, whichever one you choose, <laughs> yeah. uh, that irony is, is a beautiful thing that yeah. I think takes courage. It takes moral courage it's mm. essentially to live according to, to your best self, but also to have the dignity to do that. Because mm. you do, there, there comes a time when you feel comfortable. Mm. With, with with certain things and yeah. you convince yourself there's a family involved there's a lifestyle that comes with this what would yeah. others say especially yeah. the what will others say when you're thinking about different cultures mm. and 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 i admire your bravery to say you know what i'm quitting this fashion job um <laughs> it's, it's, it's really very down uh, i'm gonna go back to my writing uh, i'm gonna take the time to find the right publishing house and mm -hmm. and and I'm just going to do what's best for me. And even with your your children, the ability to say, I'm not going to say what my parents normally mm -hmm. would say. I'm going to allow for exploration and allow the curiosity to be uh, to be cultivated. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you know, I just when everyone who knows me knows that I'm like the girl, especially you know, to friends who are mothers, I'm the I'm the girl who makes other people want to rebel a little bit, you know. And I couldn't I could not be more proud of that that statement. If yeah. I can make somebody just rebel a little bit against either you know their culture or themselves, or you know, it it's just the most liberating place to be is when you start rebelling a little bit against what what is normal and uh, and and you really can't stop you know you get to a point that you start questioning everything and you start rebelling a little bit against everything so i'm i'm really in trouble with my kids when they turn teenagers you know i don't know what i'm going to do <laughs> you know i i have this conversation with my mom too because uh my parents are nigerian well i mean i'm all of us we're all nigerian but you know it's the same sort of thing where it's a very rich culture but there are certain ways, certain monikers, a lot of, you know, extended family type of things. What would you, you know, what 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 is considered respect is how will others see you sometimes? Yeah. And when my dad's job as a diplomat started to take us all over the world, I don't think they were quite ready for my rebellious nature to be activated. Because I, I was I was I was always I questioned everything and I still do. They didn't know how to respond. I'm like what? <laughs> You're supposed to be able to preserve your Niger like just yeah, go there exactly. and come back here. <laughs> now we joke about it, but I was the only one out of my I have two younger brothers who I just used to always do that and I would get in so much trouble. And 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 now they ironically they say, ah, oh, you know, now I understand. But Yeah, exactly. In hindsight, <laughs> hindsight's beautiful. <laughs> it is, it is. But but it was so funny. I was like, ah. Um, and I also understand also because we grew up initially in two military dictatorships, so it's kind of wow. the the idea of yeah. questioning something could take your life away. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I wanted to harp in on something before we close because I definitely want to give you a chance to talk about. It. I know you have Healing Her out now, right? And then you have another book coming out soon. Yeah. Um, so before we talk about that, I want to highlight, you know, why you know Nelson Mandela is a hero of yours and what your experience was, was like with apartheid because we both share. Uh, the uh, Nelson Mandela and Oprah, yeah. two of our biggest inspirations. But I'm curious from your po uh, point of view and your perspective, sure. what that was like. Well, um, like I said, for the first eight years of my life, I was um, on this peach farm in northern Johannesburg. Um, so we were we were extremely isolated. Um, I had I had a very sheltered upbringing. Um, we didn't have you know um, we didn't have the rules that were um, enforced um, throughout the country at that point. And I also had you know I I, w I came from. Um, a very innocent sort of upbringing where my parents were very, um, they were very against what was going on, but they also had very little to to do with it. And we had, you know, as all South Africans had at the time, um, we had people who um, helped, you know, I was literally brought up by two, um, two nannies um, and me and my brother um, and sister, we were brought up by these people who were our family you know they were the closest thing I had my parents were working full-time you know my dad was trying to get us out of South Africa um, and you know they they were all Southern African um, you know from Zambia and Zimbabwe Zimbabwe yeah yeah so so we had um, we had this sheltered and you know it's hard because we um, because when I when I look back at it I feel quite um, I feel quite ignorant because of my innocence. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, mm. I feel like I was very sheltered from it. And we left um, after we were in Cape Town when Nelson Mandela was freed. Um, and, and that's, you know, that started happening. Yeah. Um, and the country, you know, it was such a volatile place to be. A lot of my childhood, I remember quite violent break-ins into um, both our farm house and uh, some of the other properties we lived in and these things were normal you know these were very normalized in my in my childhood bomb um bomb scares you know i don't know if you had the same thing but we were we went through bomb uh, drills every every week in my school wow. um so it was it was but you know like i don't question it because that's just what we had to do um yeah. and like i say we we um we left to the UK and uh, and my parents had very little to do with um, South Africa afterwards. And of course, I, I had to educate myself um, on on the apartheid after I had grown up a little bit. Um, and, you know, I, I really believe as a child, my sensitivities came through almost like an osmosis. You know, when you live in a culture and you don't quite understand it as a child, you still are very heavily affected by people's energy in that country yeah. and um you know my sensitivities to to everything i mean the 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 poetry i used to write it just could not understand this this need for separation i could not um fathom from a child's perspective i could not understand how people could treat each other this way you know when we watched the news or we heard on the radio um it was one of the most difficult things I can I can remember trying to trying to get a hold of like these emotions that came to me and I couldn't explain them, 
you know, um, which is why this poetry has been such a, a form of healing for me because yeah. you you have to channel it in some way or it, it comes out in in other in other ways. But um, it was when I grew up um, that I started, you know, reading Nelson Mandela's book and and his um, and his life story and and the way he brought the country to you know the liberated state that he did and his um and his struggles and and the way he grew up you know i really felt like this connection back with my childhood uh when i was a bit older because i didn't know what was going on um but by educating myself i feel like that ignorance kind of um it was almost not forgivable you know not forgiven but yeah. understa- understandable um, and I, you know, I haven't stopped uh, reading his book since, you know, it's been, it's been like this, um, it's been a connection to so much uh, of my own life and, and how, you know, finding yourself incarcerated in different environments or, um, you know, mentally incarcerated, you know, this idea that you can find freedom even in incarceration is one that is, um, you know, it's an idea that is um, exceptional um, yeah. to me. Life is full of paradoxes, and I thank Absolutely. you for sharing. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, the greatest things I often find in those ironies, yeah. and that's the irony of life. And I, and I appreciate you sharing that because th- that's what I wanted to highlight there because I thought I heard that initially when you said that. Yeah. But um, it's the idea I feel like many of us don't forgive ourselves, which you even alluded yeah. to it where you were talking about the ignorance. Um, and it's ironic that your name, your book is called Heal and Her. I do think that we need to get to a point where we can – forgive ourselves uh whether it's it's out of what whether it's ignorance fear or whatever we've done in the past for us to grow and i'm looking at this from the point of view from as a diversity and inclusion consultant where i go into a lot of spaces with people from different backgrounds and sometimes i i get to see people's real life guilt shame hmm. uh, addressed or just visibly manifested and in front of me, like, I can't believe that that's what happened to her. That's what happened to you. And, it, and it's it's such an interesting thing to to experience because um, I, I've seen it go one or two ways where maybe one person doesn't feel like they can do anything anymore. And then the other person feels like, well, now I have to act. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I don't know. I, I'm just always curious about whether there are techniques we can actually apply to ourselves so that we can heal uh, yeah. learn and accept and then move on. It doesn't make Absolutely. us a bad person. But yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, we've we've there really is. I really feel like I've lived a thousand lives. But you know, recently we've come across this um, um, this revelation in our family that there were two more um, brothers in my grandfather's family than mm. than uh, than everybody had talked about. So these two boys, they were um, you know fifteen and twenty. Um, they were put into a psychiatric ward um, and nobody ever talked about them. You know, ever since that moment, they uh, were sort of rejected from the family. And of course, in the 40s, you know, this was a time that people didn't talk about mental health um, and it was sort of this shameful um, stigma. And and I really, you know, I've, I've really struggled with this idea that, um, you know, the past still has a way of of really messing with us um and it was through writing this um poetry book about healing i thought well how do you how do you like how do you forgive those people who um let these two 
children, basically. How do, how do you forgive them for, for excluding them from the family because of their mental health? Or how do you, um, you know, my parents, uh, my ancestry comes from Polish gypsies, you know, and, and there's, there's so much that our ancestors have been through. Um, our grandparents, you know, you don't have to go that far back to really feel like this incredible um, difference in worlds, how they grew up and what they had to deal with. And I really believe these kinds of seeds of guilt and shame and sort of um, these uh, painful pasts are are left as residue um, in us. And I'm, you know, I wonder how how can you how can you get through that? How can you live with that? And what I was thinking, again, uh, coming back to consciousness is just, you know, I guess all the past really wants is to be recognized. You know, that's all the past really wants is to know that it, it existed. Um, and all these things that our ancestors have been through, shedding some light, spending, you know, giving it some space, some thought. Um, about what they went through and acknowledging that it happened, but then also moving on with your life, you know, not becoming victim to these um, past ignorances or past, um, you know, um, pains, but to to keep moving onwards, you know, to keep moving forward and, and, and keep saying, uh, you know, keep creating your life according to you and not live through these past pains. So, yeah, yeah there's it's it's a difficult one. It is. It is. And it's, uh, I think it's one we need to talk about more often, but I, I Absolutely. love that. Yeah. And I'm so eager to read your book. I'm going to make sure I finish it <laughs> Thank today. Because uh, I, I got it. I was like, I got to finish it. I appreciate it. Anytime. As, as we wrap up here, I want to talk about your writing process. I'm, I'm very curious. I'm uh, a bit of a nerd with this. So sure. I, 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 I think I have a different writing process than many people, especially because yeah. My poems, they just sort of spontaneously come to me and I have my like Evernote and I write or, yeah. or I, I, um, I have all these ideas where I'll just journal and I'll, like, I'll come back to that. But I'm curious about what your writing process is for nonfiction and poetry. Sure. Yeah. I am um, I'm not a morning person, but I have two kids. So <laughs> what I do, I, this is like it's 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 no longer based on. Um, you know, how I feel at the moment. It's like, this has to be structured, otherwise it doesn't get done. But um, I started I started waking up two years ago, started waking up at five o'clock. Every morning I have two hours before the kids get up that I literally have this sacred, magical time of that cup of coffee and my laptop. And I get to write some of the best work that, you know, I've ever written is in these two small hours um so so that's um that's when I really do my sort of um proactive work is in the morning and after the kids have gone to school um and daycare and I get back and I and I continue to do proactive work but not as intensely you know and um and then the afternoons are mostly for reactive work so it's um you know replying to emails and things like that i don't do a lot of writing in the evening or at the weekends because it would also conflict with you know me spending time uh, with my family but um when it comes to poetry it's something you know like you say sp spontaneity it needs to come from that pa uh, that place of spontaneity i've i'm i'm like a i'm really old fashioned. Like I have to have a pen and I have to have a paper, piece of paper to write poetry 
on. Mm. So I have this um, this little uh, book, and it's literally attached to me wherever I go. Um, and if something comes, I can quickly jot it down. You know, look like a crazy person, just suddenly get on the floor and write down like some some idea or something that I've seen. And I and I really love having um, that as the spontaneous. But when it comes to the nonfiction um, book. That needed a lot of structure. I needed to find, um, you know, I needed to find some freedom in structure. Otherwise, it would have just been all over the place. Seventy thousand words, you know. Nice. Whenever I felt like it, it it just, uh, at least for me, it just wouldn't have worked. So yeah, quite quite different, I guess. Yeah. Contrasting. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because that, that's why that's why I always want to show that to the audience because sometimes I get a question about how to be a writer, and I'm like, I think everybody yeah. has their own unique process and. and even if you're going to compare someone like J.K. Rowling to like mm. uh, J.R. Uh, Martin for Game of Thrones, who still yeah. has other two books to finish. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, uh, he's you know, uh, you know, it seems to be building as he goes. But I, I think uh, mm. you know, a lot of authors would just they already have the ideas and they find their structure and and they operate there. So um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So make sure you grab. Says his book. I'm going to put that in the show notes, and I'm also going to give you a chance to talk about where people can find you and what you're working on. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tayo. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So wh wh what's the next book? Uh, do you know, I'm I'm like, I'm so excited to write the next book, um, but I can't decide wh which which one it is, the you know, which one should come first. Um, and I, you know, I've been struggling with getting through winter in um, in Denmark, <laughs> you know, as, yes. a, as a southern girl, some southern hemisphere girl is the hardest thing. So I'm kind of thinking of something along those lines, but also um, this um, this idea of grounding and yeah. belonging this um yeah mostly about belonging I, I think this would be a book that that could do a lot of good for for others so yeah I love it. to well, be then, to be confirmed to be confirmed TVC, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll have to follow up with you so where can people find yeah. uh, find you in social media yeah so um i i like i've haven't been on social media for a good uh, a good few years while i was writing this book and um I was actually working in social media, so I didn't have a personal account. So I've just started. So be kind. Um, and I'm on, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on says Chris Jansen um, on on Instagram, uh, and the website is uh, sayschristiansen.com. Okay, sayschristiansen.com. Yes. We'll put that in show notes. All right. Well, yeah. then the last question that I have for you is my mission statement reframed as a question, and my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So, how do you mm -hmm. says use your difference to make a difference so my difference i would say is rebellion you know and uh, i'm planning on making sure as many people as possible create a little rebellion in their own life yeah yeah wow i love it planning on making sure people create as as much rebellion anarchy <laughs> yes anarchy is here look at that says <laughs> Thank you so much. This Thank has been you. this has been an amazing, amazing, amazing uh, uh, discussion, and it's all because of all the authenticity you shared. So I just want to thank you for doing oh, that, and gosh. I really feel humbled. And thank you for everything you're doing at the moment, Tayo. You're really setting a bar for for us, uh, you know, rather unique individuals. It's um, it's awesome. It's awesome thank stuff. Thank you. I'm really humbled to hear that. Uh, well, ladies, gentlemen, and gender nonconforming. Till next time. Use a difference to make a difference.
You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.